0: From Given, this is Purposing, the podcast that lifts the lid on how to run a truly purpose-driven business. I'm Becky Willen, and with the help of leaders from some of the world's most recognized brands, I'll be demystifying this often misunderstood topic into clear, actionable advice you can use in your own business. This week, I'm joined by Nina Battier. Nina is the Executive Strategy Director at the John Lewis Partnership, the largest employee-owned business in the UK. She's responsible for expanding the business into exciting new areas such as financial services, housing, outdoor living, and the circular economy. Through this conversation, you'll learn to judge the right time to reset the purpose agenda in your business, set the right process, plan, and pace, and make a refreshed purpose really stick within the culture of your organization. Before I speak with Nina, let's take a quick look back at her career to learn how she became responsible for shaping the next chapter of one of the original purpose-led businesses. Nina is currently one of five women on the seven-member board at John Lewis Partnership, a diverse group of individuals responsible for delivering a daring plan for one of our most iconic businesses. But transforming British retail wasn't always her goal.
1: I planned to become a lawyer. My family would say I'm sufficiently argumentative and have a highly developed sense of right and wrong. But I felt that becoming a lawyer in one country was going to be very, very narrowing. So I wanted to seek something which would give me a much broader the landscape to work in. And I love the variety, so for me it was, how can I make a difference in as many different environments as possible and keep learning and keep solving difficult problems?
0: Having worked in senior leadership and advisory roles for multinational clients, Nina found a sense of pride in ushering in change and delivering purpose. Nina credits her time studying law for providing her with skills she's used over the course of her career.
1: Over time, get clear on what your purpose is and what you like to do and why why you're here. So for me, I like to solve difficult problems working with interesting people in interesting places. That's what I like to do. Um, so I've found the perfect venues to do that.
0: Nina spent 20 years at the consultancy firm McKinsey, building up a wealth of business experience while also
1: prioritising purpose. I needed a change and I needed to apply everything that I had learned but in a more singular setting, running something, and you know, again, in another very difficult environment. So I then thought out different challenges, running a home services business, building a tech business, and then of course getting the opportunity to come to the ultimate bucket list of brands, which is the John Lewis Partnership, which in a way has ended up being the place where everything that I've learned come together in an opportunity to transform and set spare on the next chapter a really, really strong heritage business. So Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Becky. Really delighted to be here.
0: Can you set the scene for us? So where was John Lewis Partnership on your purpose journey? And what prompted a reset on purpose back in the summer of 2020? You know, was this purely down to your chairman, Sharon White, joining the business or was it part of something even bigger?
1: So let's take our minds back to the summer of 2020. We were a few months into a pandemic. And indeed, I joined the partnership just a month before the pandemic prompted a complete shutdown of some of our John Lewis stores. And it was a very turbulent time to be in the business and in joining the partnership. And what I would say was there are a number of factors at play. One is, you know, we were in uncharted territory. We were in a new circumstance for our business. We had to, over the space of a weekend, close or 50 of our John Lewis stores, whilst maintaining 300 to 400 Waitrose stores, feeding the nation, if you will. A few things came clear by the summer. One, that these unprecedented circumstances were going to persist for a while in some way. Secondly, we were not dealing with a business that had no purpose, no why. Our founder had created the partnership with a very clear purpose and with a very clear mission as as an employee-owned, partner-owned, as we say, business. But he created the partnership as an ongoing experiment to find a happier, more trusted way of doing business. But what we noted in in the summer of 2020 was that this idea needed to be given a lift. It needed to be modernized. It needed to be more relevant to the times in which we were living. And of course, they were extraordinary and unprecedented times. And then, of course, we were also talking to our customers. And one of the things I do in, in the business is look after a lot of our customer research. And what we were hearing, and what many businesses are probably hearing, is that the why of a business, the why we're here, is of increasing importance to many cohorts of customers, not just younger generations, but actually their parents and their grandparents. So our purpose, whilst it talked about the happiness of partners, did not fully resonate with either our partners or our customers. So we really felt we needed to take a look again, and not in the spirit of a teardown, but in the spirit of a sensitive Restoration. So that's what led to the modernization of our partnership purpose, which is, and I'll say it here working in partnership for a happier world you hope
0: that that kind of really huge strategic question only gets answered once in at least 10 years, maybe even longer. So I'm really curious about sort of in the context of not only challenging trading conditions, but that global pandemic in a sector that was facing extreme pressure. Why were you convinced that exactly that was the right moment? And was it a challenge to convince anybody else on the exec or in the leadership team that in the context of all of that disruption, that understanding? undertaking this piece of work, which might have very far-reaching implications for the business, was justified.
1: We had the debate internally, not just as an exec, but with partners at large. You know, we're a democratic organisation, so we have open discussions and source opinion from our 80,000 partners at large. So certainly this question of why and why now absolutely came up. And in terms of the why now, I think I would say in some ways there's never a better time to look at purpose than when you're facing difficult times. When times are difficult and you're making tough choices, you need to be able to point to the reason why you're here. And people have to believe it and they have to feel it and they have to want to care about being there. So from our standpoint, we felt that there was really no better time to start looking at our purpose, seeing what it meant to us and how it would help us make decisions. And I would say, you know, our previous purpose, it wasn't being effectively used to help us prioritize and it rarely featured explicitly In our decision making. So we felt this was a real opportunity to modernise and bring it into the fore. So how much of a challenge was it
0: to convince other people at the exec or elsewhere in the business that it really was the right moment to undertake such an important piece of strategic work?
1: I would say that our organisation is very unique. Uh, We are owned by our employees, partners as we call them, and therefore big decisions like modernising our purpose are not just the preserve of the executive or the board. We have, as you might know, a a democratic set of institutions, which include a council that actually gets to vote on something like modernising our purpose. So it was really important to engage council. It was really important to take the views of partners in the round. And the one thing I would say was that it was very important to create a legitimate process because, of course, 80,000 partners are not going to agree on everything. And therefore, Whilst you can hope to get full support for the outcome, what you really must get is full support for the process. And I think what got people over the line in terms of why and why now was actually our commitment to a process that would do that. And I think that built a lot of confidence amongst those who might have had some reservations.
0: Could you tell me a bit more about how that process worked? Where did the sort of legitimacy for the process really come from in an organisation of 80,000 people?
1: We started the process actually a little bit more top-down than I would ever recommend it. So we did start the process as an exec working quite a tight group. And that process met with resistance because it did not carry the legitimacy of our democratic institutions and did not, it was not as inclusive as I think it needed to be. So we had to press the reset button And I think that, again, is a very healthy part of the organisation that we are, one that's co-owned by partners. The first thing is this was explicitly not a piece of work that ended up being led by the executive. I would say I was the sponsor in the background, but in quite a recessive way. And speaking personally, that was quite challenging for me because I'm not used to being recessive in a process like this, but it was intentionally set up that way. We then put front and centre a group of partners, a working group of partners, from across the partnership, who had put themselves forward to review and, and refresh the purpose, and this included people, partners who worked in our shops, in supply chain, in our um, office environments, and they were they were brilliant. I mean, they were on this alongside their day jobs for about a year, and it was the largest listening exercise the partnership had ever undertaken. So we invited all partners, all 80,000 partners, and we also listened to over 3,000 customers and 50 of our top suppliers also, we weren't trying to convince people of outcome A or outcome B. What we were trying to do first was really listen and really understand where partners were coming from and actually really take note of some of the words they were using and some of the ideas they were putting into the room. And the fact that we gave this time meant that people had a sort of elapsed time to get used to the ideas, to sort of live with them and try them on a bit and see how they felt and you know, whilst we wanted to move at pace, we gave the elapsed time an opportunity to sort of work its magic. And then, when we eventually had a sort of candidate territory, we then put those words out to all of our partners again through the mechanism of our partner forum, where partners can express their views. And we literally had annotated versions of the words, and we played those annotations back to the partnership. Partners could see, yes, I made that comment about the word happier, and. They've listened to me and I can see how they've changed it, or I can see how they haven't. So that seeking a feedback and closing the loop, I think, was what gave the process real legitimacy and made the difference.
0: I just wondered, how did partners respond to being given the opportunity to to shape the agenda? What kind of feedback did you get from partners as a result of the process?
1: For me, coming from outside the partnership, I'd only been in the partnership a few months when we started this exercise, It was a real revelation to hear partners' reactions. First of all, the working group that I mentioned was really genuinely surprised and stunned, I think, that we would sort of let go of the process and allow a group of partners just chosen and self-selected, put their names forward from thousands of other partners. That was regarded as ambitious and trusting. And I think trust was a really big part of it. I think the second is partners really appreciated the notion that their views would be heard and taken into account. And I cannot I cannot underscore the impact of people seeing their concerns raised and explicitly dealt with and that loop being closed. I think that's very powerful because often in large organizations, you give feedback on something, you make a point, and then it sort of disappears into a black hole, never to be heard again. But we took care to close that loop. And then we also made sure that this wasn't just an internal listening exercise. So I think partners really appreciated having a lot of the external stimulus that we brought to the to the table shared with them as you know they had to use that not not be in opposition to it and I think partners again felt trusted and then of course you know we had the courage of our convictions to put this to council you know sharing our thinking and then coming back for an indicative view and then a final vote you know this was momentous. I mean, it's been many, many decades since we've done this in quite this way. So yes, I think I, as a partner, actually felt very nervous, and I think um, partners felt that we had done the right work in the right way. I think the
0: the council, the forums, the the partnership has a very unique and very special democratic model. But I know that you've spent most of your career working in PLCs and and outside of that sort of really very different construct. So I was wondering what advice you would share with colleagues who are in a PLC, but really want to learn from the approach that you took at the partnership in terms of the authenticity, the legitimacy, and, and the sense that this was a piece of work that was really delivered by the people of the organisation for the people of the organisation? Any sort of learnings that you think are the most important learnings to take outside into other businesses who don't have the the benefit or, in some cases, the complexity of that democratic model?
1: Well, Becky, although I have spent a lot of my life advising clients that are perhaps in more conventional PLC, publicly owned settings, you know, I did also spend 20 years of my life as a partner at McKinsey and actually I know what it is to be a co-owner and a partner. And I understand, therefore, how close some of these issues around purpose and reputation uh, objectives are. So in a way, although it was a very different setting, I did feel that I understood a little bit about what it meant to be a co-owner of a business and therefore really hold very close to my heart the the why of why any business exists. But to come back to the substance of your question, you know, what, what advice or what observations would I have for those in more conventional settings. I think I say three things. One is you would be surprised at what people tell you if only you would ask them. I think this is one of my big learnings. Of course, we know that when we think about customers, but if you allow people within the organization to really have a voice, it's incredible what you hear. Because after all, these are the people who are closest to the delivery of the product or service and are very close to customers. I would just say have the confidence to trust people with the problem and to get their views. But having been both partner a professional services firm where one's paid to solve difficult problems and quickly. And secondly, having been in a variety of executive roles, I'm used to leading from the front. So being recessive in this kind of process was challenging, but actually very satisfying once i would allowed it to happen. And I think we live in a world where executives are feel or are expected to lead from the front. Sometimes leading from behind can be equally, if not more effective.
0: And so having done all of this work, what's your view on what makes a good purpose? You know, can you talk a little bit more about what the different elements of the partnership's purpose are and why it's important that this goes beyond the strap line and it goes more deeply into the, the architecture of the business?
1: It has to be authentic and, and real the test I had for myself when we were developing the purpose through the process that I've just described to you is that anyone could say, yes, only John Lewis Partnership could say that. Only John Lewis Partnership could have this purpose. And I really believe that only the John Lewis Partnership could have the purpose working in partnership for a happier world. So that for me is crucial. It's got to speak to the organization's history and heritage. And it's also got to be instantly recognisable, and it's also got to be instantly relevant to the future. And I think you can't manufacture authenticity, either is there or it isn't. And I think one of the reasons ours is so authentic is because we didn't start with a blank sheet of paper. We started with what we had, and then we went back into the archive to look at everything that was written by our founder and his successors to look at everything that we experienced as a partnership and some of the things we've done. And, you know, if I look back at what our founder did, you know, he founded a business that was intentionally there to make only sufficient profit and do good. He founded a business that actually provided healthcare before the NHS did. He founded a business that was inclusive from the start, you know, employed women and enabled women to keep working after they had got married. Some of those ingredients around why we are here to create a happier world to create better circumstances and social mobility were deep in our archive we were able to pull on these themes to sharpen them up and shine them for for today's time you know authenticity is one i think the level of modernity that works but without being gimmicky i mean none of us wanted a kind of clever strap line that would you know shine brightly for a few moments and then disappear like a fading firework that wasn't what we wanted what we wanted was something real that would stand the test of time. I think the third thing that makes a good purpose is relevance. The context of our founder was a bit different from the context we find ourselves in today. And I think talking to customers or being able to speak to customers and our other stakeholders and more than one generation was really important. And I think that's why we needed to modernise the wording.
0: And how do you make sure that a purpose is able to do all of those things. You have the statement, working in partnership for a happier world. But you haven't stopped there. You updated the constitution to reflect that idea as well. So one of the things that I see is, and I think it's one of the challenges, is that there are lots of businesses that have a purpose statement. There are fewer truly purpose-driven organizations. And I think there is real power in, in your principles and the constitution. Could you talk a little bit more about sort of what role that plays and why it's so important not to just update the strap line but to go further than that
1: yeah so so when we started down the journey of looking again at our purpose and you know started on this journey of that sensitive restoration it wasn't just a set of words it wasn't just taking what we called principle one and modernizing that one line, because principle one lived in a document called the Constitution, which governs the entire partnership. So we knew that in attempting to modernize the purpose, we were effectively also going to have to amend our founding document, And that's quite a big deal. And you, as with anything of, its, of, its, of such importance, you have to be very delicate with it, and you have to be very thoughtful, because you have to live with the consequences, and they will be enshrined in a document for the next hopefully, 20, 50, 100 years. So our constitution, we knew from the start that we would have to amend this. If we managed to get a unanimous vote on a new purpose, a modernized purpose, we would have to amend our constitution. But we didn't just stop at that first line, working in in partnership for a happier world. We had three sort of themes of principle underneath it. So happier people, that's customers or partners. Happier business, are we a commercially successful business doing the right thing? Happier world, which is all of the impacts we have beyond four walls of our business. So, we had a set of principles that then flowed under each of those three headings. So, yes, it meant that we had to think quite deeply about who we were and how we operated under those three banners, which I think was hard. That's what took a bit of time. But it also means that we feel more confident that actually this thing is going to be lived.
0: Okay. And so, you're now a few months into. The next phase of the work, I guess, to really embed the modernized purpose in the partnership. What are the big priorities around embedding the purpose? And why is partner engagement such an important focus
1: at the moment? Having a purpose that has been unanimously agreed by our governing bodies is felt like an end point, but is really just the start of the journey. And in all the work that we did leading up to that point, we recognize that activating and embedding the purpose, you know, is not a three month exercise, it is a multi-year exercise and we have to treat it that way because there'll be bumps there'll be crunches there'll be things that don't work so
0: what are some of the things that you've already done differently as a result of your new purpose um and how has that changed the conversation across the partnership
1: as i said it's, it's a multi-year journey but in this first year we paid particular attention to how we activate and embed so there have been a few things that we've done that i think every partner we'll see sort of affecting the fabric of the business. First of all, we relaunched our partner engagement survey in March. So not long after we had unanimously voted the purpose through. And why was that important? Well, one, most organisations have one of these surveys, but we wanted to really anchor it in the purpose and ensure we had a language that people would then use that would be anchored in purpose. I think that also gives us a baseline to measure our progress. second thing we're doing, and that's an ongoing thing, is ensuring that we embed our purpose and sort of critical questions about how we make decisions, critical points in the business. So, whether that's at the partnership board, whether that's amongst the exec, whether that's at council, whether that's in individuals and leaders' objectives, purpose has made an appearance in all of that kind of scaffolding of the business that needs to reflect the why. Third thing that we have done with partners as a whole is. We didn't stop at the engagement to create the purpose. We've given ourselves the the target that every partner will have had a conversation about purpose within this year. In fact, we've made significant progress already by the middle of the year. And that conversation is at two levels. One, what does our purpose mean to you in terms of the business? But secondly, how does it connect to your own personal purpose? Because we think if you can't locate or attach what you're here to do with what the partnership is here to do, that's a missed opportunity. And then, of course, our purpose is also making an appearance in some of our propositions and what faces customers. If I pick an example, our rental housing proposition, you know, that was acutely anchored in the fact that we have a a housing shortage. But equally, lots of players are playing in there. But how is our proposition going to be unique? Of course, what could be more fundamental to happiness than your home? So it's enabled us to think really differently about a rental proposition that will be unique in the market, so that people will say, yes, of course, only John Lewis Partnership could have come up with that rental proposition. So it's making an appearance from everything from our engagement survey right through to a uh, new proposition.
0: So it makes sense that there's been a huge focus on engagement and engaging partners with your new purpose over the last few months. But we also know it's really important to make sure that a purpose guides, sort of big strategic, operational, commercial decisions. So what are the some of the things that you've done in that area?
1: There's a lot underway. One of the things you find when you have something like a purpose that's very authentic and very in the DNA of the business is that it first of it helps you frame and explain things that you are doing. So things like the amazing wool mattress, the circular mattress that was made from wool from Waitrose Farms and folding John Lewis. I mean, of course, that's a sustainable proposition, but what could be better? What could be more happy than a good night's sleep and an utterly sustainable product? So I think it it creates the umbrella and the narrative for us to explain many of the things that we are doing. But there are a few examples of things that I think would not have happened in the same way without the purpose being modernised in the way that we talked about. So first of all, you may be aware that we have been the first retailer to promote equal parental leave, so not shared parental leave, but equal parental leave. Why? Because we recognised that it was absolutely not making partners happier, that for them to take their leave, they had to take leave from another parent. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? But actually, uptake of shared parental leave was so low for that reason. So we felt that this was A, the right thing to do based on the feedback from our partners, but B, completely consistent with our purpose and a great beacon for it. So That's one example. Of course, we are now paying the voluntary real living wage nationwide. And again, I think that was driven by this kind of access to purpose.
0: I think one of the things that's really interesting in in what you just said is how you define decision making around purpose. And one of the things that would be interesting to explore with you is to what extent that is a cultural thing versus to what extent it's more about the nuts and bolts of governance and the sort of scaffolding as you talked about it for the business and i'm sure it will be a a combination of those but do you have any early sort of conclusions about where the biggest uh, levers for change around how decisions get made are whether it's more in the sort of cultural part of the conversation or if it's more in the sort of nuts and bolts and, and governance
1: well, it definitely is a combination of the two. I think what I'm observing myself is, you know, when you have to write a board paper for which there is a required section, how will this advance our purpose? You have to think differently. I found that that's made a very big difference to the way I respond to some normal corporate governance that I've experienced in lots of organisations. The opposite end of the of the spectrum, I think it is beginning to change my conversations with my teams, with people I work with. So, if I, at the start of a meeting, say, how's it going? What's on your mind? I'm going to get one set of answers. But if instead I start the conversation with what would make you happier, you might get some of the same things, but I've discovered you have a slightly different entry point into the conversation and perhaps some slightly different answers and a different way of solving them. So I found that to be quite invigorating to both ask and answer the question differently.
0: Yeah, I think there's something really powerful in, in that idea that purpose changes the conversations that happen within businesses because frankly you know when decisions are made it's very rarely a totally unilateral decision usually there's a conversation that that happens around it I was wondering if there were any conversations that happen at the partnership today where you don't think your purpose is relevant having been through that process of making sure that it's really modernized it's relevant for the context that you're in it speaks to partners and customers now
1: Honestly, I can't think of any topic in the partnership as a business and as a co-owned enterprise. I can't think of any topic for which our purpose is not relevant. But that doesn't mean that we sort of wrote like introduce it into every conversation because that's artificial. But I do think it is in the backdrop and it's increasingly in the backdrop of partners as they do their jobs every day, as they make decisions, as they think about what the partnership is and why why it's here. I can't actually imagine not having this purpose alongside me, written in my notebook, playing a role in decision making.
0: Nina, it's been such a pleasure having you on Purposing. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Peggy. Nice to be here.
0: Thanks again to Nina. Lots of really brilliant insight there. So here's a few things I've taken from the conversation. There's no better time than a crisis to reset the purpose agenda. If your business is not clear on its purpose or it's not driving decisions, you need to get to work. It could be the one thing that sees you through the challenges ahead. Changing an existing purpose takes longer than starting from scratch. You need to bring in the right people and build in enough time to listen to what's most important while identifying the ideas that are holding you back so you can move forward with substance and legitimacy. The right purpose changes virtually every conversation that happens in your business. It's like learning a new language. You need to give everyone, especially your leaders, the time, the tools, and inspiration to make it happen and make it real every day. If you'd like more practical advice on building a purpose-driven business with brilliant insights from people like Nina, download the Insider's Guide to Purpose at givenagency.com forward slash insidersguide.